Hey, Blue Shirt Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Blue Shirt Breakaway. I'm here with Greg. We are recording on a late Monday Memorial Day episode where we'll go over uh, a few certain things, including some brief Ranger news, probably touch on Game 1 of the NHL, talk about the amazing Game 7 that happened tonight, and a little bit of Game of Thrones at the end of this. But for right now, Greg, how is your tired face? And say hello. My tired face? How do you know my face is tired? You can't see my face. You I, don't know me. I can hear it through this this wonderful voice mechanism that you have of yours. A telephone? Yes, a telephone. You nailed you used it. You call me on my cell phone. No, no, we still call on uh, so, yeah, well, you still call on a cell phone because that's what we do uh, on this uh, podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so not a lot happening in, in Ranger uh, news this week, to be honest. There was rumors that the Wild were interested in, in Derek Stepan. Uh, they had an offer on the table last year. Uh, do I believe it was Nashville for Johansson? Mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to send Jonas Bronin, as I believe his name. He's a Sweden, a Swe- Swedish kid. He was the. 10- I'm sure it's something like Brodeen, just it's, because you always butcher names. That's true. It's probably Brodeen, but I'm gonna call him Jonas Broden for now, and I'll get corrected tomorrow. Uh, but mm-hmm. he was the number 10th pick in 2011, and he seems to be a. Uh, it's he's defined here as will graduate as a prospect of the future. Uh, he is uh, Broden's very mobile defender who is an excellent skater and a decent passer. His average offensive instincts hold him back from being an elite package, but he's developing very quickly. This year for the Wild, he played in 68 games, and he has a minus 5 plus minus rating. Well, I think the most important part of that entire spiel you had there is he's a 22-year-old defensive prospect that was once a top-10 draft pick. And I think that's exactly the kind of player the Rangers need to be investing on. And if I'm trading Stepan, that's the kind of guy I would hope to get in return. That's the guy I would want back also. I don't know if I'm going to trade him. Frontline centers such as himself are very hard to find in this league, and it's something the Rangers lacked for a long time. But now with Broussard and Stepan, uh, it's really something that is – I'm so sorry. Why did I do that? You, you, you suck at pronouncing this what is wrong with me? I kind of hope – it's been like four man's, four man's name. I kind of hope he gets traded just so you can stop been, the training. It's been like twenty nine episodes. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why am I? Stepan. Why can I still not pronounce Stepan? I can't do it. it I can't do it. It, it, it. It's like you know, you step on a bug. Yeah, step Derek on. Stepan. Derek. Derek. Step on bugs. Jesus Christ! What are we doing? Uh, <laughs> this, you're this, struggling, man. This late night podcast shen- shenanigans. Oh, geez. All right, so yeah, that is kind of the player you'd want back. But with the Rangers right now, that you have Broussard and Stepan, Stepan a bug, and uh, getting a frontline center like that isn't isn't easy at all. I mean, we didn't expect Broussard to be what he is now, did we? No, I don't think we really expected Stepan to be what he is now either. But at the same time, you know, you can't keep everyone, and you got to move pieces of value to get back pieces of value. And I've said it multiple times on the pod that... I'm okay with trading some offense to get better on defense because I think it's just a little bit easier to find offense in the NHL than it is to find frontline defensemen. Right, but we don't. I guess we don't know if this kid's going to be a frontline defenseman, but we do know that he has some promise in him, and he does have the the elite pedigree. And the Rangers, you know. You got to trade something of value to get something of value. I'm pretty sure I said that already, but <laughs> you know, not it. everyone, not not everyone is going to want to trade a kid like Brodeen for Chris Kreider, or so on and so forth. 
Stephon has value. You kind of have to capitalize on that value when you can. No, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess this, the Rangers might be interested in doing that deal. I'm not sure they will be. Stephon does is on a six point five million dollar contract for I believe four more years after this. So that is he just he and he might not be a six point five million dollar a year player. You're saying he'd be less less of a player then. I'd I'd say his ideal price is probably in that five million. Okay, so you think he's been playing over his head for us for the past few years here? Uh, no, I, I think the kind of player he's been is just not a kind of player I want for $6.5 million a year. That's fair. The kind of player Stepan is, I'm okay with paying $5 million, but $6.5 million a year, I'm expecting more like 65-plus points. I don't think Stepan's that kind of guy. That's true. He's not he, a 30 goal a year scorer. He has shown a lot of grit on this team and has been one of the better offensive players uh, for this team in general this uh, these past yeah, couple of years. So, so uh, did Ryan Callahan. That's that's true. Where is he now? Home on the couch, huh? <laughs> I'm just saying, like the Rangers, they decided they didn't want to pay Ryan Callahan that kind of money, and you know Derek Stepan is a very similar player to Ryan Callahan, and they're paying him, I think, more money than Callahan even wanted. Hmm. That's true. Uh, I, I do have, I'm very fond of, of, of Stepan, uh, even though I can't pronounce his name. And uh, he's one of my favorite Rangers right now. And in, at centers, like I said, we don't we don't really have any depth at center other than those two guys, Broussard and, and Derek. So I don't know what we would do there, but I guess we, we're, we're starting the rebuild process in the first place if we do trade him, and, right? The only three players I would be irked by the Rangers trading are probably Hank, McDonough, and Zuccarello. I think I could justify trading everybody else i think you had one more i i think we talked about this earlier in the week that not obviously off podcast i think you i i added mcdonough there was one more guy you said i think it was shay probably i think it was shay it was probably pavel oh it was probably i do pavel like and i like i like shay and pavel too i wouldn't i probably wouldn't trade any of them they'd be like they would round out my top five but i even think there are uh, with a team that needs to get younger i don't really see a lot of scenarios where Trading Shea or Pavel would benefit the Rangers, but I don't either. I could be talked into one, I think, maybe. Right, for the right price. Yeah, like if you're getting back like a Dylan Larkin type. Right, or like a, a top 10 player <laughs> that's coming to you. Right. So, something that would never happen uh, right. in this day and age. Yeah, this, this team does need to get younger, and this is, this is a theme that you and I will talk about uh, throughout this entire off season that's very long that we still seem to be podcasting through for some reason, one one or another, right? Yeah, we like the sound of each other's voices. I just like talking to you, guy. That, that's mm. all. And we like to hang out with uh, some of our fans once in a while, all three of you. Every, well, welcome, every now and then. Welcome all three of you again. Steve, hello again. Hey, hi, howdy. Steve. Uh, all right, so where were we? Other than Rangers and Stefan this week, uh, what else is going on? Anything in the Ranger town? I don't, I'm not too sure. Well, uh... No, I mean, we're just going to – the. it seems there have been more and more uh, sources poo-pooing the possible Shattenkirk trade with uh, Rick Nash to the Blues. I guess that's out there. And I'm not 100% positive that, you know, I, 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 that trade scenario might not have ever been realistic on either side of the fence. And we're just in the silly season when it comes to rumors because obviously the Stanley Cup playoffs are still going on and we're – about a month away from anyone being able to really change teams. So, you know, it's just a whole bunch of smart people trying to say smart things. And, you know, maybe the Shattenkirk trade was never a possibility. I still think it makes sense talent-wise and 
maybe as the off season progresses, it be, it gets brought back up. But you know. That, that, that's really it in that, terms of Ranger-specific news. That's what we're here to talk about in general. Anything that that's goes out there that's rumored or that's talked about, you know, it's our job as uh, as wonderful podcast hosts and uh, community leaders in the, in the Rangers uh, world to uh, analyze these these things, such as the Shattenkirk trade, which was heavily reported for time to time. I believe Brooksy started that one, correct? I'm not too sure. Uh, and I think it was someone at the Daily News. Okay, well, props out to them. We'll give them credit one day, or we probably won't. This is probably as close as we're going to get. Okay, I like that. So let's stick on NHL for right now. Game one happened tonight between the Penguins and the Sharks. I happened to catch the last eight minutes of that game because uh, I was watching the Golden State Warriors and uh, the Oklahoma City Shokers uh, play their game seven. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, you watched the entire game. What your thoughts on the Penguins versus Sharks so far? Uh, it was stark contrast between the two teams in the first and second period. The Penguins absolutely dominated everything in the first period. Um, and quite honestly, I think Martin Jones was the sole reason why that lead wasn't more than two goals going into the second. And then the Sharks just turned it on, and the Penguins going to get it out of their own zone. Um and, you know, Jones continued to make great saves in the third period. He just got beat by uh, just some beautiful puck play by the Penguins. And they created openings and holes that otherwise wouldn't have been there from lesser teams. It was impressive by the Penguins, but I think the Sharks are definitely going to make this a series. I think it's going at least six games. And I, I think it's the Penguins series to lose, obviously, especially with the win, but um, the Sharks are going to give them a run for their money, by all means. I I got to tune in for the Penguin goal, and afterwards the Sharks just got the Sharks kind of looked stunned. And as soon as they got the power play with two oh nine left, uh, they really didn't take advantage of it whatsoever. The Penguins had full control throughout that entire power play. I think the Sharks got three shots off, and they were all from the blue line. It was a very sloppy power play. Even if they even after they pulled the goalie, it wasn't impressive. They just looked like they weren't ready for the moment yet. They, look, they panicked a little bit from what it looked like. And that sucks because I'm rooting for the Sharks, even though I know you're not rooting for the Sharks. No, well, I, I'm going to take this game to game. Whoever I think is going to, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And tonight I did bet on the Penguins, so I was very happy by the outcome. Betting those jelly beans, that's what we do here, those jars of jelly beans. Uh, hey, I had, a, I I had a pretty successful night because I, I won money on the Penguins and I took the Warriors at halftime to win the second half. I believe I just said just the word... score more points. I believe I said the word belly jeans there, so in case anyone was wondering <laughs> what those are, we bet those pants. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. yes. Not jelly beans. Those are for eating, ya fools. Ya fools. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Mets today. Matt Harvey back on, back on the mound. Looked a little bit more like his old self. What's going on with that? He looked, he looked great, and, you know, it, it was just one start, so let's not get way too excited and balls were still hit very hard off of Harvey today. The difference today was that there were gloves positioned properly to field those hard hit balls. Um, mm, hard hit balls. And it was encouraging, 100% encouraging. And the Mets needed a win today just to rinse out their mouths from what was just an utterly shitty weekend against the Dodgers. Now, I was going to touch on this. Uh, with you because uh, you and I are share a group together where we talk about things, and you said a lot of bad things about uh, Chase Udley this weekend. Well, why don't you share your thoughts very quickly on that? 
<laughs> well, I just think Chase Utley's the devil incarnate. Like, I, it, the things happen to me uh, emotionally when I see that um, chop block that he issues to Tejada in game two. Like, I know that the Mets won that series and went on to the World Series, and Ruben Tejada's not even a Met anymore. And, oh, I never even liked him to begin with. I believe so Ruben Tejada is not on a team anymore after this week, by the way. He's not on any team. The, Card- the Cardinals the, they designated him for assignment. Yep. Yeah. So, like, Ruben Tejada is not the kind of guy I should, like, plant the flag for and go to battle over. But just that play live was incomprehensible and dirty. And there's just no way to defend it anyway. It's a dirty fucking play. And it just pissed me off to no end that not only was uh, Utley eventually ruled safe despite never having touched the bag in the first place um, and leaving the field to play, but then that he also wasn't suspended. Just And then Utley doesn't get suspended. Syndergaard throws behind him and gets ejected from a baseball game. That is the ultimate hypocrisy. I, I can't believe I. I, I can't verbalize my kind of anger about that shit. That was Bush League on the job of the umpire to throw Noah Syndergaard out of that game. I'm not saying the Mets were going to win that game because obviously they didn't provide any offensive punch, but um, the umpire prevented the Mets from being competitive. I don't think that's saying going too far with a criticism. That was it was stupid. It well, was a now, terrible call by the umpire. Just for someone who didn't watch the Mets game uh, with Syndergaard pitching over this weekend, uh, it wasn't the first at-bat, right? It was the second at-bat? It was the third inning with one out, okay. and Utley was coming up for the second time. Okay. But the umpire's reasoning also doesn't make any sense, because after the game, he said that the umpires viewed this event independently, and they did not take into account that maybe... Yeah, that they didn't. They weren't recognizing that there was any bad blood between the Mets and Dodgers previously. So if if you're saying that this, you're treating it as this one moment and not a microcosm of a bigger event, then you definitely can't throw them out. You just went back on everything you said because Syndergaard didn't even hit him. Like we ejected someone. The, Matt Bush doesn't get ejected in Texas for plunking Jose Batista in the eighth inning. But Syndergaard gets ejected for throwing behind Chase Utley. It doesn't make any sense. I, it, there's just no consistency in those rulings whatsoever. Okay, that's pissed, that, pissed me off. That's ridiculous that the umpire would say that it's independent. Uh, that just doesn't yeah, make any sense whatsoever. After the game was the umpire's statement after the game was that they were treating it as an independent event and they were only looking at it from the scope of that game that night. Okay, sure. And he threw behind him. He didn't hit him. Threw behind him and didn't hit him. Okay, whatever. That's that's bullshit. Uh, how quickly is is Syndergaard becoming your favorite Met? Uh, it's tough because Conforto's way up there as well. Um, but Syndergaard, I think, takes the cake because he's such a great Twitter personality. I was as just well. about to ask you about that. He's amazing on Twitter. He's great. He's incredible. He's also got a great great home home run swing, a bond with Bartolo Colon, and he throws uh, what ninety seven mile per hour average. Ninety seven, yeah, that's his changeup. That's ridiculous. Uh, it's so silly. Uh, 
Any any other Mets things you want to talk about other than the, other than the tough weekend for today? I know this is like a very well, late night pod for us, and we're kind of just blabbering well, on here like we always do. The big news after the Mets game today is David Wright's got a herniated disc in his neck, oh. so he's likely going on the disabled list, uh, which once again opens up some questions. The Mets traded for James Loney since last we talked, a former Tampa Bay Ray great. Oh, uh, highest paid player on the team, eight million dollars. <laughs> and you're still paying him to play for the Mets now. Oh, Thanks, I yeah. know. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, well, we have Logan Morrison. He's Loney, he's lighting the world on fire. Yeah, hitting two twenty three. Very nice. Um, oh man, you know this off Logan, the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have I, I have issues. Um, okay. But Loney will be a nice like left handed first base platoon. But the question is now, um, they got to get rid of Eric Campbell. I'm sick and tired of Eric Campbell. He's awful. He would not be on any major league team, and yet he's on the Mets. What I'm thinking they need to do if Wright goes on the DL, uh, I say you keep your first base platoon of Loney and Flores, and I think that makes one competent first baseman offensively. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if you don't want to make a trade, you got to move Neil Walker over to third and call up Dilson Herrera, who's ready to go. He's hitting like 290 with a slugging percentage over 530 in Vegas. Um, he's ready right now. Or if you want to make a trade, I think you need to get uh, Billy Bean on the phone and see what exactly it's going to take to get Danny Valencia over here. Um, I think Valencia is one of the few players that you could trade for right now. He's having a very nice season in Oakland. I think he's hitting in the 320 range. Uh, he, he is. Uh, he went on the DL earlier in the season. He w- was hitting like crap before he went on the DL, came off the DL, absolute fire, and it's just been ripping the cover off the ball since. I think I I think he you could trade for him right now if you really wanted to. Um, of course, it really depends on what it would cost to get him. But I you know I, I don't think the Mets necessarily need to make a trade off the bat. I think the realistic thing to do is go Loney and Flores at first, move Neil Walker over to third, and bring up Dilson Herrera. I, that's probably the best play. I agree. I like Herrera a lot. I think he's uh he's got a really good bat, and he's only twenty one, so he's just still and developing. The Mets have made it. And they've made it perfectly clear that 2017, it's Herrera's job at second base. Right. So there's really nothing to lose by moving that timetable up a couple months. And He's already made his debut. He's already on the arbitration clock. Right. And injuries happen. And he's a great depth player to have. And Eric Campbell, you're right, has been around for too long. He's, he's a, a Mets from the bad days. Can't have him on this team he's- anymore. We were. I was having conversations with you last year, complaining about games where the Mets were hitting John Mayberry Jr. fourth and Eric Campbell fifth. And the only thing that changed now is Neil Walker's hitting fourth, and Eric Campbell is still hitting fifth. <laughs> it's been a year. How is this still happening? When you put it like that, it gets really sad. Yeah, it's depressing. It the is. The man is like a three things will survive a nuclear holocaust: Twinkies, cockroaches, and Eric Campbell. Twinkies are are really. Uh, something else. They really do survive everything. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm absolutely. Well, I don't know if we're going to go into this week, but I uh, I ate the best food this weekend. I All I did this weekend was eat a bunch of amazing food. That was my entire Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank, thank you so much. I had the best rack of lamb I think I've ever had in a little town called, called Rhinebeck Upstate. It was delicious. I just wanted to point that out. Well, Ryan, wait, is Rhinebeck really Upstate? Isn't that like All right, so near Poughkeepsie? I'm from Long Island, right? Just, so just anything, anything north of of New York Yonkers City is upstate. Yeah, of New York City is, is upstate. I know that's like a typical uh, Long Islandism, as they would say. 
whoever they are. terrible. For me, anything, it has to be north of Albany in order for it to be considered upstate. Okay, so I didn't really go upstate this weekend then because I went to Albany also, but I was on I was on <laughs> I was on the line. I, I did like I did a Hudson Valley tour this weekend. I would say. Yeah, Hudson Valley to me is not upstate, and I grew up in suburban Connecticut. That's fair. Like we went we went to college in Poughkeepsie. I'm sure you consider Poughkeepsie upstate. Oh, so upstate. <laughs> Poughkeepsie is nowhere near upstate. We still had a Metro North line that stopped at school. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's it's a Long Island thing. I'm sure. And I think most Long Islanders, if anyone listens to this, would agree with that. Everyone else would absolutely disagree and yell at me. And that makes sense. But yeah, I rec- always uh, recommend Rack of Lamb to anyone. <laughs> Before yeah, we- I, I mean, I'm the kind of guy where I always say, uh, you got to order, if you go out to eat, order something you can't make yourself. And uh, that always works for me because I can't make anything myself. Yeah, oh man. But everything is on the table. Yeah, mac and cheese, uh, spaghetti. <laughs> Well, no, that's why I stay away from spaghetti dishes. Oh, I was like, I, I can actually you're make like, it. Oh, I could do this. Yeah, like I, that's why I go hard after, uh, you know, chicken parm subs, um, pulled pork, burgers, like sophisticated burgers. Um, okay. All right. Yeah, I go hard. I, you you got to order something. If you're going to eat out, order something you can't cook at home. That, I love that's how like my rule. This, this podcast always comes back to food for me. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, I will say I did email Blue Apron this week, this weekend to be oh, like, did you? to be like, Hey, want to support us? <laughs> I, 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 cooked up a mean, uh, uh, let's see. I had the, the chicken buns and I had the beef tartines this weekend How, from, from Blue Apron. Your Both thoughts? Were delectable. Your thoughts? They're Very amazing. Good. Very good. And, um, an idiot can make them cause I am an idiot and I somehow made them. Very true. Uh, I had the, uh, the crispy catfish tonight. It was a with the udon noodles incredible now, uh, see i haven't i haven't made that one yet so i i love how we talk about this stuff like we are sponsored or like they're gonna do anything for us but legitimately they don't do anything in case anyone no, was wondering this is literally just us talking about a delightful product it is a delightful product um i do want to have a podcast one day where i talk about a lot of great restaurants you should go to in the new york area during this off season on your vacations that, that is a lovely podcast but, but for a today, kid that lives in Georgia to be a part of. Today is not that day. <laughs> well, you hey, have back. you ever have you seen have you seen Kingsman yet? You bum. No, I'm a bum. Oh my god, I hate you. I know, I'm a bum. I've you're seen, the, you're I, the absolute worst. I've seen a lot of other movies, but I haven't seen that. I know it's I killing hate you me so but so much. Let's talk about Game Seven. So game Seven of the NBA, because I know uh, NBA is not really part of this podcast, but that was something else for me. And uh, I, I want to talk about a little bit about Game 6 and 7, and then we're going to move on to a, a super spoiler version of Game of Thrones where I will uh, do the big pause and all that and make sure whoever hasn't watched yet is not listening. And don't worry, the spoilers won't be that in-depth de- in this week because I'm still not 100% sure what happened. That's fine. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be that in-depth either. I mean, one of them, one or two will definitely be a huge spoiler if you haven't watched yet. But let's talk about sure. game, game 6. Did you get a chance to watch Game 6 and 7, or did you watch any of it I watched Game Six because once Syndergaard got ejected, I was like, "Well, no need to watch the Mets game anymore." That makes um, sense. Let's talk. That's that's officially dubbed the Clay Thompson. I have a big balls game, right? I, he, I mean, he whipped them out, and he was like, "What are you going to do?" <laughs> and the Thunder were like, "We're going to stare at them and not really do anything." The Thunder uh, shot whatever, like whatever shit. you like, sir. They shot like shit they, uh, from three the whole goddamn series. I mean, I, I think one of the stats tonight is they were three for three for like thirty or three for forty from from downtown. While the the uh, I believe the Warriors were I think twenty one for forty five. I think they were three from thirty. Yeah. Well, the Thunder aren't a historically great three point shooting team outside of Durant. 
Um, Russell Westbrook, I think Bill Simmons has said the statistic enough times for me to know that he is the worst statistical three-point shooter in NBA history. Third. So, third worst. Third worst. Got you. Um, so you just you let him go. And Andre Roberson was hot in the earlier series against the Spurs and then a couple games against the uh, Warriors. But historically, he's a terrible distance shooter, and he went cold again. Well, so, tonight, you know, one of the last plays of the game, Roberson had a wide-open three, and he just, he, gave, it up. he just gave the ball up. That was it. He threw it in the corner to Waiters Island. Yep, who, who drained a, a very long two, the worst shot in the NBA. But uh, that wasn't what they needed at that point in time. They needed those three points. Yeah, so, you know, when you're a historically below-average three-point shooting team, and if Durant has a bad game, which he did in game six, things tend to go against you when you're going up against an OD team like the Warriors. I do want to give Clay props because that dude drained 11 threes, I believe, in game six on Saturday. Kept them in he that did. game like just by himself. Did not celebrate once. Just walked back on defense, stone-faced. Uh, stone face killer. What is? What do they call him? Like they call him uh, the Stonehenge, the Stonehenge head, I believe, or something like that. And uh, he just clapped and walked back on defense and just murdered them. And it was uh, very nice to see. And he, these weren't just like corner threes with a hand in his face. He was making them from off angles with Abaka guarding him, and he was, he was unconscious. That's like the only word that he used to describe him. It was, it was absolutely ridiculous. And then Curry ended up taking over that game and, and just settling it out. And tonight, I swear, if I was an Oklahoma City fan, I would just print out a picture of Curry every day and piss on it. Because that guy destroyed us in the last... Not us. I say us like I'm part of that, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm just using this example. <laughs> you're, you're a self-proclaimed Spurs fan. I, I am a Spurs fan. I'm, I say us like I was using an example, like if I was, if I was pissing on a picture of Curry. <laughs> um... Uh, that last play where he just like pretends like he's gonna hold the ball and just like goes to the hoop and puts it in. Well, it actually just like goes to the hoop, goes to the other side of the court and drains a three and just looks at him like, "What? I'm the MVP. What do you want me to do?" It was. Um, it I was will great. say uh, when they were down three-one and the NBA final odds got to eight to five on the Warriors, we were foolish for not just like putting money on them. Why did we not see this coming? No, yeah, you should have saw this coming. The team's too good. Like they they should have lost that game six. That was the chance, but Clay just went to another another planet. So here's here's a nice question I have. If you're LeBron, right, you gotta be rooting for OKC, right? Uh honestly no, because I think either team in the West would have toasted the Cavs because it either would have been Westbrook using in a Bruce and Kyrie Irving. Or it would have been Steph Curry using and abusing, abusing, abusing him, abusing him, abusing. Yeah, it's late, bro. That's um, very late. I think, I think either port, point guard was going to have such a significant advantage over Kyrie Irving that either Western Conference team was going to win because LeBron would have had to deal with um, either Roberson, Robertson, or Durant defensively, or he would have had, or he's going to have to deal with Draymond Green. And I think that would have made life very difficult for LeBron James, and they would have had to rely more on Kyrie. And I just don't see Kyrie getting the better of either Curry or Westbrook. I think Warriors. Or Clay Thompson. I think for that Warriors in, in in six. I'd say Warriors in five. Yeah, I was leaning five at first, but I, I don't know. 
It's got to be... LeBron might win two games on his own. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, I just don't see the Cavs winning this series. I, I don't think they have no a chance. chance. I think they're going to just get blown out with threes in a lot of games. The Warriors are just going to yep. be too strong offensively. Not going to be able to right do it. Right there with you. Right there with you. All right, maybe we'll touch on that again some other point in time, like we said last week. But for right now, let's move over to our wonderful spoiler edition of Game of Thrones, uh, which we will talk about in the next five seconds. But if you have not watched any Game of Thrones, now is your time to stop listening to this podcast. It was great having you again this week for this very late Memorial Day uh, podcast that we're doing here. But now we're going to talk a little bit about very spoilerific Game of Thrones. And uh, we're going to that section absolutely right now. So here we are. Greg. <laughs> so, spoil, like I said, spoilers, spoilers now. There, what was the most surprising moment of this, this episode for you personally? It's got to be Benjamin, right? It's got to be Benjamin. We literally, we literally <laughs> haven't seen this guy for five years. Episode one. I have not seen him. Figured he was dead. Okay. So uh, I'm not going to go into the book stuff, but that was when I said last week I think it was a book character. Uh I still think it's a book character, but Benjen is, is probably that book character, just to say. Now, I know I'm being very confusing now. Seeing him back like that and knowing that, like, he died, but he's back, I don't understand what he was saying there. Like, they're like, oh, he revived me by, like, sticking the glass shards into my heart, and now I'm back. I'm, I'm all cool, and I have this flaming lantern that I kill all my walkers with. Yeah, the way I interpret it is, like, the way the children of the forest made the white walkers when a white walker killed a man the same principles brought him back to life okay. it counteracted the white walker killing him part okay and he said that like the, the three eye raven summoned me so that means bran like s- like subconsciously summoned benjamin to come save him for once i think this was a case of the old three-eyed raven summoned benjamin letting him know that Bran is the new Three-Eyed Raven and he will need your help. Okay. Now, the one thing I don't want to be true is that Bran has been going through the past and like is able to manipulate the future by green-seeing through the past. I think that's a huge cop-out in, in writing in general in Game of Thrones, and I really hope that does well, not happen. I think, I think it's clear that it can happen. It's a matter of... How strong when he is does, at it? When, well, when does it happen? Like, What are the things that he manipulates? Because... I mean, it's clear that Hodor knew before Bran knew, right? Because Hodor yeah, he did. lived it in his young past and knew the day was coming. So under that premise, whatever Bran is going to do, he technically also would have already done. Right. So he can't change anything. He can just make sure whatever happens, happens. I think that's the difference. That's probably true. Um, that that was the the most shocking part of the episode. Now I, I'm really curious to see where they go from here. I believe, and my here's my theory. I think Benjamin we will take uh, Bran to the wall, and then Bran will say to John eventually when he get when he does get there, like, hey, we got to team up with uh, some people. There's gonna be a lot of shit going down, <laughs> especially the yeah. I think it's I think with Bran's little. Um, episode where he was just seeing flashes of images. Well, he saw Daenerys. Uh, yeah, I think it's clear that he knows he needs to team up um, John with Danny in some way, shape, or form. And I think by the time he's ready to team up John and Danny, he will know if there's lineage between the two. 
Right. There were some uh, some pretty cool shots in there. You can go screenshot by screenshot online at this point, but like Jamie on the throne, uh, there was like a bloody hand and it was like the word sister was uh, mentioned there. So that would, that is very telling. There's a there's a lot to see in there. And I'm sure that a lot, the Mad King was shown for the first time, which was very cool and all the flames. That uh, a lot of history in that that one little flashback. That that's all in the books, but uh, will probably be explained thoroughly online if you guys just do a simple Google search. Mm. Um, the worst scene in this podcast. Uh, in this podcast, the worst scene in this podcast is the entire thing. The worst scene in this episode of Game Thrones was the ending scene. How anticlimactic was that like, for you? I don't know if it was anticlimactic. It was just unnecessary. Like right. um, <laughs> basically. They're marching through a ravine, and Daniel finds Drogon just chilling and starts riding Drogon, and then, for some reason, feels motivated to ask all the Dothraki that are already following her if they will follow her. No, yeah. they're just going for a Sunday stroll in the same direction you are by happenstance. Like, are you this guys is unnecessary? Are you guys with me? Yeah. What about now? Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> all right. It's just unnecessary. We didn't. We didn't need that. Like. There could I you know I don't I I don't know like she didn't need to have the speech when she got Drogon she could have just sat on Drogon and looked at everyone and then it would have been like on we go I now have a better horse uh, look a better horse a dragon uh, the best like the most underrated part of this entire episode is when Samuel Tarly takes Heartsbane when he's like taken at the end he's like this is my sword now it's my family's sword he's gonna have to die to get it back. That is going to be such a key tool in the future of this show because having a Valerian steel sword that can kill White Walkers is just going to play it like that was the whole point of him going back home was to get that sword. That's why the writers wrote yeah. that in. So, yeah, absolutely. You know that's going to be a big plot point uh, coming forward. And uh, that was very his dad was not a cool guy, and I know what that's like. So, uh, <laughs> hey, well, dad jokes. Real personal. Let's and get dark. real right. personal and dark on this podcast. Um. Anything else we want to talk about for Game of Thrones this week that we missed? I, uh, Jamie's going back to the is going to the Riverlands, uh, and he needs to be there to be honest. And that's that's an exciting point where he's going to be, be meeting with the Blackfish and leading the army over that way. Uh, I can't really say much without without. There's no real spoilers from the books, but he I will say that he already had headed there in the books. Uh, so I was really waiting for that to happen. So now we'll get to see like what Jamie's really all about. Also, let's uh, one more thing I do want to talk about. Marjorie is not, I was going to say this right now, she is not converted to the faith. She is playing a game. She right. Is, I wouldn't just, we don't know what the game is yet. No, we don't know what her motive is. We don't, we don't need to know all the inner workings of the game, but I think it's obvious that she's playing one. Oh. Because you don't just go from, we need to win this game and be strong with your brother Varys and then be like, we're not Varys, whatever her brother's name is. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. The Rainbow about. Knight, yes. Yeah. Um, Dick McSuckington, that guy. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, we went there. Okay, um, no, go ahead. Yeah, like, you don't just go from one week being like, we need to stay strong, win this game, don't give in, to be like, I admit to everything. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a game here. Yeah, I have, I just, we have no idea what it is, but I'm excited to find out. He, that, that kid wants that sweet woman so bad that she's she's playing him Oh man, she she's leading him on the worst way possible, and I think absolutely. And uh, I think that's really a, a part of it is to get back at Cersei and become, uh, well, the the one the person in power in this situation. 
And I don't know how she's going to do that or if she's going to try and dismantle the faith from the inside to come out on top that way, but I'm, I'm really intrigued at this point in time with her character. There are a lot of ways it could go, and it'll be fun to find out where it ends up. I agree. So this has been a, uh, a very late-night podcast for us, and uh, I know we didn't talk about much of anything here, but thanks for all for listening. <laughs> Do we ever, though? No, never. But yet, some of you still hang out, all three of you. Yes, I am so excited. To, I, I can't lie. I'm very excited to pass out. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm also going to immediately go to sleep after I post this podcast. So, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, next week, we'll m- maybe do something. Maybe we'll do a podcast. Well, maybe you'll see Kingsman. And we'll rediscuss this hot dog situation. Yes. We because had a, uh, we had a very important development over the week. We did, and that's a little tease for next week. A little more hot dog in-depth talk. Uh, maybe a little bit of uh, of New York food talk in general, and uh, any Ranger news that comes up. For now, though, Greg, say goodbye. Bye-bye.